Thursday and Friday, me and Elmery went down to Cape Town. And um, it was such a glorious two days. On Thursday, a friend of mine organized for me and him to go and test drive, to test ride, I think is the right word, two KTM 790s, 790 Adventure and a 790 Adventure R. We got to KTM in Potten Island, and uh, we were a, bit, a little bit enthusiastic about how far we're going to ride, so we kind of thought we had to beg the manager there, and he said, no problem, you just go and ride. You just go and have fun. Oh, dear, that we have fun. It was absolutely glorious. And on Thursday afternoon, um, me and Elmeri attended the wedding of uh, XL, the other girl. Can't remember when she was at W Auto, kind of 2007 to about nine. And uh, she and her husband now, they are both full-time pastors at CRC in, in Cape Town. It was such a glorious wedding. It was such a pleasure to be there. And it was such an honor to see how God used those two people. Then comes Friday, and the same buddy of mine says, no, now we're first going to ride bikes again. So. He gave me his GTR 1400, and we went out on the Royals bus, and we had an absolute, absolute blast. Now, I think maybe 90% of you probably will look at me and think you're mad, but it really, really was such an experience, and it was a perfect day. No wind, slightly cool, but sunny. It was just incredible. So I really, really had a good, good week. But my point with that is not to sell your KTM or GTR. My point with this is, wherever you are this morning, God wants to meet you there. Wherever you are, those thoughts of the really tough week still lingering. Maybe even you think that those things are going to spill over into the next week. God wants to meet you there this morning, where you are. I want to read you a collage of verses. I took the um, yeah, liberty of, of putting some verses together. Um, they all speak about the same thing, but in the Bible we find them all the way from Genesis through. So, yeah, but here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the Word was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. Jesus, the Son, the Word. I promise, only one more little bike story. Some time ago, I was riding my bike in really thick sand, and it was just one of those days I was just having an absolute ball. I mean, everything just flowed. And uh, I thought, yeah, but I'm really getting good at this. And when I said that, I hit the deck so hard. Pride always comes to a fall. But there's a different kind of pride that does not come to a fall. And since it's Father's Day and we're speaking about the son, I want to tell the fathers here, it might take a male to produce offspring, 
but it takes a man of God to father children. And to father children can't be done by a wimp. It can only be done if Christ lives through me. So when I get really full of myself, I crash. But when I get really full of Jesus Christ, then I fly. The only thing needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. It takes a man to stand up. Now, please, ladies, Galatians 3 verse 26 to 29 says, In Christ there is now no more male or female. So when I'm speaking to the fathers, I'm most definitely speaking to you as well. Because in Christ, we are all equal. And it takes all of us to stand up for Christ, but not full of myself, full of Jesus Christ himself. And normally we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Now this morning I want to say, Jesus Christ, we welcome you in this place through your spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you and I glorify you. And Lord, it's in absolute reverence to you that I stand here this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our minds to you, Lord. And Lord, I ask that every one of us, every one of the people sitting here this morning will listen to you, not to me. Because, Lord, I can only speak into, into their ears, but you can speak into, your, into their hearts. And I trust in you for that. Amen. This month, we are talking about three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, my part this morning is about the Son. And during my pre preparation for this sermon, I had to really, really have a good look at how do I see the Trinity, but much more specifically, how do I see the Son? Now, you all know that I'm Afrikaans speaking. In the Afrikaans culture, when we grow up, we are programmed to, to, to pray, Liva Jesus. I don't know how to translate that into English, but we pray, Liva Jesus. And I think in my mind, that made Jesus small. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who the Son of God is. He's not small, not at all. When I thought about the Trinity and about the Son, I got myself into a complete spin. And by Wednesday, I was, I was so confused, I called Herman and I said, I really need to talk to you. And he was gracious enough to meet me at the mall. And Satan tried to stop that because Herman left his phone in his car. I arrived there first. I sat down next to a pillar. Herman arrived. He sat down on the other side of the pillar. We sat there waiting for each other for 45 minutes. I phoned, I WhatsApped the whole thing. His phone was in the car. So he got up, he started leaving. And I saw him when it was kind of like 40, 50 meters away already. So I ran after him and we had our meeting. And it was so cool to bounce my thoughts against him. He didn't have to say that much. He basically said two things, but in the process, I got my mind kind of at ease again. That is the way we as spiritual family are supposed to help each other. So we have all heard different analogies or pictures of the Trinity of God. Um, I think Landa spoke about the, the pretzel. Wim Gert shared with me how he sees it as an egg with a shell and the, the yolk and the white. We've all heard the thing about steam 
water and ice. Now, these things, we try and use them to understand something that is really outside of our sphere of understanding. We try and understand, but we live within space and time. God lives outside of that. So we can only understand part of God. Now, an illustration or parable is meant to convey one point. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Jesus once told a parable. He said, there were ten ladies. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Now, at some point, the foolish came to the wise and said, please give us some of your oil. And the wise ones said, no, sorry, we can't do. The five foolish ones never entered the wedding. So when I look at that parable, Jesus delivers the punchline when he says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus told that parable to convey that point, the point of saying, be ready. It would be really foolish of me to say, oh, Jesus said, I have to be stingy. It would also be foolish to think that Jesus said, there's only enough faith for me. I can't share it with the people around me. Yeah, There's only enough for me. I can't share it because the wise ladies didn't share with the foolish ones. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying was, be ready. So in my analogy of the Trinity and especially Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to understand that it is that. It's an analogy. It is meant to explain something very specific. Um, if you get the impression that I think that we as humans can become gods or whatever, that's not what I'm saying. It's to convey one thing. Um, on the West Coast Vineyard Facebook page, there's a D.L. Moody quote that says, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. That means that the Bible was given in order to make us more like the Son of God. My analogy here that I'm going to use this morning is also not primarily to give you information. My analogy is in order for us to find a way to become more and more like the Son of God. Psalm 131 verse 1 says, A song of ascents by David. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I, I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. Now my quest this morning is not to squeeze the Son of God into a little box big enough for me to grasp. My quest this morning is actually to look at the sun and then figure out what my spiritual destination is. Where am I going? Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah. Now, generally spoken, the book of Isaiah can be divided into three parts. And I'm just going to quickly read this. Chapter 1 to 39 is about Israel under threat of Assyria. But Isaiah shows that the real threat is not the Assyrians but the disobedience of Israel. Chapters 40 to 55 describes the period in exile. Israel has now been overrun by the Assyrians, taken away, uh, or not in Jerusalem or in Israel anymore. In chapters 56 to 66, by this time, some of them have returned to Jerusalem, but they are in dire straits. And they really need the reassurance 
that God will fulfill his promises that he made them. Now, it's interesting, the part that we're reading this morning comes out of that first part. And the promise that God gave them is the promise that they had to be reassured of that God is going to do this. So, Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you look at that verse there, it is written in the present tense. It was written more than 700 years before Jesus was born. But it's written as if it has already happened. It shows me two things about God. First one is, God is not bound by time. God lives outside of time. God sees the whole picture, all the way from creation in Genesis, all through to the consummation of this era of space and time in the book of Revelation. God sees that as one picture. And the second thing that it tells me is that the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to earth was not a reactionary thing. It wasn't something that God decided, oh dear, we have to do something now because this world is in a mess. No, not at all. It was planned right from the beginning. So I would like to present another illustration of the Trinity. And I hope that will bring us to a place of a closer understanding, but understanding not in the sense of knowledge, understanding in the sense of wisdom. How will I act? Now, in Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27, that tells us that God created human beings in his image, in his likeness. And therefore, when we look at human beings, we can learn some aspects of God in whose image and likeness we were created. What I'm saying is, when I look at another human being, it is kind of the same thing as if I look at a pretzel and I say, Ah, so 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, describe human beings as three in one. Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the three words which I highlighted there is spirit, soul and body entirely bl blameless at the day when Jesus comes back. It doesn't say, right now, I am body, soul, spirit, entirely blameless. Not at all. It says, I will get there. That's my destination. The Greek word for soul, it's the word which our English words, psych, psychology, psychiatrist, those things, comes from that Greek word. I can't pronounce the Greek word. It's sucho or something. Anyway, so to me that means that your soul is your mind, all your emotions, your will. It really defines you as a human being. And the interesting thing is, the Bible does not only use that word soul in connection with humans. The Bible uses that same word in connection with animals. Now, we all know that animals have their own personality. So therefore, that word soul should not be mixed up with the word spirit. 
animals don't have a spirit because they were not created in the image of God. But they do have a soul, and their soul is that. Everything that goes on, I'm not talking about your physical brain, that's part of your body, but everything that goes on in there, that is who you are. The point is, at rebirth, the person's soul is starting the process of sanctification. While I'm here on earth, my soul, my mind, is bound by space and time. I cannot think outside of space and time. But because my mind is being sanctified, therefore, my soul will not always remain bound to space and time. A time will come when my soul will be relieved from that. Then the spirit. It's in our spirit that the spirit of God comes to reside. We become new creations upon accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross. When that happens, the spirit comes to life. Because now it is connected to the intended power source. We were all intended to become like that. And when the Holy Spirit comes into my spirit, my spirit then becomes truly alive. And therefore, my spirit is not connected to space and time anymore. I think it was um, C.S. Lewis who said, that is the reason why people search for God. Because, and in all different kinds of ways, but our spirit has a focus on eternity. Our spirit is not bound to this earth. And therefore, our spirit needs God to become fulfilled. Lastly, the body, physical, bound by space and time. And the physical body will remain here on earth. When I die, it will not go to heaven. So the body remains being bound to space and time. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that when this body departs, I get a new body, a spiritual body. And that is not bound to this earth. Now, if I use this analogy of a human being, soul, um, spirit, and body, in order to try and understand the Trinity of God better, then the Son, whom I'm talking about this morning, the Son then is represented by the body. Now, I just want to remind you of the two things that I said earlier. My quest this morning is not to try and squeeze the sun into a box small enough for me to grasp. That would be beyond me. My quest is to get a clearer picture of my eventual spiritual destination. And the second thing is, all illustrations, including the one I'm using now, is intended to highlight one specific point. We saw earlier that the physical body is perishable, and it will be replaced by a spiritual body. Now, the Son of God also went through that process. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the appropriate time had come, God sent out his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Son of God, born under the law. That part of Jesus was perishable. Not only bound, under the law as we see it in the Bible, but also bound by all the physical laws that God put into place. Jesus, his body, was bound to gravity. His body was bound to the aging process. His body was bound to the cross. When you look at me, 
you can only see my body. It's the only part of me that you can see. But it doesn't say that my spirit and my soul doesn't exist. They do exist. It also doesn't say that you can't perceive my soul and my spirit in some way. You can, but you just cannot see it. When we perceive the soul of another person, we look at what that person's body is doing. I shared with you my motorbike stories this morning, so you can safely assume that I love riding motorbikes. If you know me a little bit better, you would know that I absolutely love going into the outdoors, going camping, going to very remote places. That is certain parts of my soul. It is who I am. And I'm not like that because I want to be like that. I'm like that because God Almighty wired me like that. Uh, there was some sprinter, I think it was ooh, Frankie Fredericks, who's the guy from Namibia. He said, God made me fast. And therefore, I glorify God when I run. When we talk about another person and we say, that person has got a kind spirit. We are talking about the way that that person reacts to the needs of others. So how can I see that person's spirit? I see it by looking at what the person is doing. So that boils down to the fact that when we look at the body, at the sun, we can see what the Father and the Spirit is about. Not all of it, we are human. But we can see a whole lot of what the Father and the Spirit is about by looking at the Son of God. So I would like to point out a few ways that the Bible describes the sun. In Genesis, we see the sun through his deeds. He created the universe. In the Gospels, we see him being born in the flesh. We see his compassion. We see him healing the physically and the spiritually sick. We see him making breakfast. We see him washing feet. We see him denying the self and dying on the cross. We see him being resurrected. And we see him ascending to heaven. From all those deeds of him, we can learn a massive amount regarding the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because the Son, the body, is showing us that. So, on a theoretical level, that is very helpful. But remember my D.L. Moody quote, God doesn't only want me to get to know more about him on a theoretical level. God wants to change me. God wants to make me more like the Son of God while I'm here on earth. In Romans 12, 2, it states that transformation is God's intent behind everything we see and perceive in the Son of God. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your soul, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. In my analogy, the mind would then conform to, in God's case, the Father. Do you get me on that? Yeah? I'm not saying that my mind is the Father. I'm saying the part of me being three in one can be compared to the Father within the Holy Trinity. So the renewal of the mind here 
our minds tell our bodies what to do. And Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth. The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. My body cannot do anything apart from what my mind tells my body to do. The son cannot do anything apart from what the father tells him to do. So why did the father send the son to earth? For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the effect of that, the effect of Jesus coming to earth and all the things that I spoke about earlier, what he did and died on the cross and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, the effect of that we find in 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 18. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Jesus did all of that to make us God's friends. But there's a catch to this. And who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, in a whole different ways, what I'm really saying this morning is that God expects me to become more and more like Jesus. When Jesus reconciled us to God, Jesus expects me to help other people being reconciled. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making his plea through us, we plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. We can only have eternal life if we are reconciled with God. We can only be reconciled with God through forgiveness. I can never earn that. I can never be good enough, but I can be forgiven. I can only be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and what followed after that. What Jesus did on the cross only comes into effect by faith. Remember Romans 12 verse 2, renewal of the mind? That's how faith starts. I know that faith is described in the Bible as one of the gifts, but that's something slightly different. Faith in Jesus Christ, which allows me to have eternal life, that faith starts in my mind. Earlier I highlighted some things that Jesus did while he was on earth. And Romans 8 verse 28 to 30 shows us that God's intent is that we would become like his son, Jesus Christ, or like the son. Romans 8 28, and we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, who are called according to his promise. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. and those. He predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Bible's talking about us here, being glorified. 
that by implication would mean that I ought to become such a person, then one person, that I would reflect Jesus Christ onto the world around me. Now, earlier this week, um, Elmerie came to me and said, she doesn't know what this is about, but she really, really feels that she needs to share this phrase with me. And she's pretty sure it has something to do with my sermon. And she said, the phrase is, from glory to glory. And I made a, made a little note of it, and it missed me completely. And only when I finished my sermon, I really recognized what this was about. You see, the glory lies in my spirit is renewed, is being made alive by the Spirit of God. Therefore, it is full of glory. My mind or my soul is in the process of being sanctified, of being turned into being more like the Son of God. That is glory. The physical part of that glory unfortunately lies not in me becoming prettier and prettier. It lies in what my body does here on earth. That is the part which the glory of God is shown through my deeds. Now, I can only show others, help others to see Christ if I follow his example. And I'm on dangerous ground here because of my story of crashing my motorbike. I really, really do not want to give you the impression that I'm blowing the trumpet of Eliada Mission. Not at all. We cannot do a single thing if it wasn't for God. All the glory belongs to Him. But God tells me to go and make disciples. And this morning, Elmer saw something on Facebook, and I, I really want her to come and read that to you. Because to me, in this, in this part that she's going to read now, lies the glory that Romans 8 verse 30 speaks about. The glory that God allows us to live through him. Morning everyone. An ordinary girl from Tafelsig, not knowing that for 10 years I'd be caught in the life of drugs and gangsterism. A life filled with heartache and pain. A life that I could have lost on so many occasions, but for God. Today I'd celebrate 11 years sobriety. Set free, delivered from the lifestyle I was leading. Today I honor God for seeing me through, for being my keeper, my healer, my protector. There are absolutely no words in the English language to describe my thankful heart and my gratefulness towards God. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Addiction is a destroyer, it is a killer. Never give up on people in addiction. I am a product of change. With God, all things are possible. And then thank you to El Yadra Mission Station. I will always remember what you have done for me. All glory to God. I showed you earlier that in Genesis, we see that the Son created. The Son of God is also referred to as the Word. And I started my sermon with, and God said, let there be light. That is the Word. He created everything that we see. Remember in the Gospels, I told you about him becoming flesh, his compassion, healing physically and spiritually sick, dying, denying himself, dying on the cross, being resurrected, ascending to heaven. 1 John 2 verse 6, the one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus did. 
Jesus himself said, you will do even greater things. Now, those greater things does not mean that I need to go into the graveyard and resurrect everybody there, not at all. It means that I should be so absolutely focused on Christ in me that Christ can work through me. Regarding Elmeris, what you read now in Revelations, is this part that says, what kinds of people will never get into heaven? That part include magicians. The Greek word for a magician is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia is somebody who cooks up potions to take over your mind. You see, God says, let our minds be transformed so that we can know his will. What does Satan want to do? Cook up some potions, and I don't have to tell you all the names of those, but he wants to cook up those so that he can put your mind onto a different track, onto a track which isn't transforming, which is absolutely destroying. But it's not only through chemical substances. It's also through the little pictures that we play in our own minds. Are we with God's word? Or are we playing in Satan's hand? As the sun spoke the universe into being, our words have massive effect. Audrey's husband, Philip, showed me, sent me a, a video. It was mind-blowing. If any one of you wants it, I'll send it to you, but it's quite long. But in any case, a part of this video was the guy, the scientist, took two strawberries and he put them into little plastic pockets and he pinned them to the wall. And every day, three times a day, he would come to the one strawberry and would say, love. He would then walk up to the second strawberry and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Now we all realize that if you would take a strawberry and put it into a plastic packet and put it into the wall, at some point in time, it will become fraught. The difference was the second strawberry, the I hate you strawberry, became fraught a long, long time before the other one. Our words, because we were created in the image of God, our words, can create. I don't have to die on the cross. I cannot create another universe. That's not what I'm talking about. But within the responsibility that God gave me, God expects me to represent his son. And that means to do the things that the son did here on earth. And what did the son do? He spoke into being. He healed the sick, physically and spiritually. He fed people. He washed people's feet. God expects me to represent the Son, to do the things that the Son did here on earth. Now, in the beginning, I said, I'm not asking you to become prideful of yourself. I'm asking you to become so proud of Jesus Christ within you that you will not be meek. Jesus was quite bold, man. He made a whip and he drove some animals out of the, out of the temple. He was bold. He was a man. Go and read about him in Revelation. If that doesn't scare you in some sense. Anyway, there are some things, some ways, which I cannot and should not try and mimic Jesus. Tell you why. Because I am not God. What I see 
in your life is what I see. I cannot see your spirit. That testimony that Elmery read, the lady said, do not give up on other people. Because you see, God can see and know their eventual destination. Jesus even told some people, called them a brood of vipers. Me? I can't call other people a brood of vipers or those barbarians or those whatever we hear people say about other people. I cannot see what's inside of you, but I also cannot see where you're on your way to. And God can see that. So when I speak, I cannot use that part of Jesus as an example because I am still bound to space and time. I am merely a human being. You see, my words and works need only to be a pointer to Jesus Christ. In Afrikaans, we call it the Patriarchant. You know those signs next to the road that says Saldana that way? My life and my wor words and works should be like that, to say Jesus Christ is that way. It helps me nothing if I tell you, if you want to go to Saldana, you should not drive into the direction of Feldrift. There are still a lot of other roads that you can take. But if I point you to Saldana, I am being helpful in your life. Therefore, we should be pointing to the Son of God. In John 3.17 it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. If I want to be like the Son of God, I really need to bury my condemnation of other people. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of His glory, God's glory, and the representation of His essence, and He sustains all things by His powerful word. And so, when He had accomplished cleansing for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Son is the revelation of God to mankind, and the Son's radiance and glory shines upon us. And we are supposed to reflect that onto the world around us. Whom of you like chilies? There are not that many people who likes it, so you're welcome to take more than one. The round ones are not so hot, and the long ones are really hot. Anybody else? Come in. Be brave, then. Hand out to anybody who wants. I've got bad news for you lot who don't take chilies. You've got a hole in your soul. My point with that exercise. As you see, when I say God expects of me to radiate the glory of the sun onto the people around me, some people are searching and they will see that and they will take that. Now, I'm not saying that the chilies represent anything. I'm merely saying that it depends upon that person whether he will take or not. I cannot make another person except Jesus Christ. It's not my job. My job is to reflect Christ in such a complete way as God allows me to do in order that I can point them to Jesus Christ. In conclusion, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the word was life, and the life was the light of mankind. 
and the light shines on in the darkness. The darkness has not mastered it. The one who says he re resides in God ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. We all know that Jesus called himself the light and the way and all those things. For believers, Jesus lights up the way to the Father. For us, Jesus lights up the way. Not for unbelievers. How will they ever see? They will not if we don't light up the way to Jesus Christ. As much as the Son of God lights up the way to the Father, Jesus expects me and you to light up the way for unbelievers so that they may meet Jesus Christ.